want to just let you know that we're preparing an addendum to the book of Revelations. I've told you that we wanted to do a message on the soon coming Russian invasion of Israel. This is going to be an addendum to the Revelation series. This is not in Revelations. Revelations deals with Armageddon. But Ezekiel 38, 39 precedes Revelations, precedes the Great Tribulation. And it is at the door. I mean, it is here. All the nations involved in Ezekiel's prophecy are lined up. And I personally believe the church will see this one. So we're preparing for it. And as soon as we're done with Revelations, we're just going to keep going for a couple of weeks and look at the soon coming northern Russian invasion of Israel with all of the Islamic nations involved. We'll name them. Ezekiel names them, and it'll blow your mind how accurate he was and is. So that's coming up. After tonight, we have two more revelations, and we're done. Isn't that amazing? And you've got a book in your hand. And you know that there are two other churches that I know of right now that have started this very series. They've gotten the notes, and they're starting. They started last week, and they're doing the very same thing. So God's people are learning about this. Amen? So tonight, we're going to look at some powerful stuff a little bit on the millennial reign of Christ and the most sobering scene in my mind in the whole book of Revelations, the great white throne judgment. And so Satan's ultimate doom, the final judgment of men, how many of you want to see the devil thrown into hell? I said, how many of you want to see the devil thrown into hell? (laughs) Well, we're going to see it tonight. Now, last time we saw the incredible marriage supper of the Lamb, And you were there, I was there. Isn't it a blessing to see that? And the mighty appearance of Jesus Christ to bring an end to the war of Armageddon, the worst war in the history of the world. It will be the mother of all wars. Jesus Christ will stop that war. If he didn't stop it, no flesh would be saved. Now, it is at this time, Jesus will judge the nations. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, When he finally arrives, here we go, there's a quote. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, this is the Lord talking about himself, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all of the nations will be arranged before him. All of Europe, all of the Islamic nations, all the nations of the world, all the communist nations, Russia, China, all of them will be gathered before Christ. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius, not Zoroaster, Christ. They'll be gathered before him. And he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats. And Jesus said he will be putting the sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since when, everybody? Since the world's foundation. And here's why. Now listen carefully what Jesus says. Now he's not, before I read this, he's not saying that you were saved by works. He is saying that your salvation caused you to be involved in or they were indicative of the fact that you were saved. And here's what God's people, true believers, do. I was hungry, and you fed me. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. You know, our ladies just began a prison ministry, and it's been so encouraging to see all the sisters in the Lord that have gone there to be taught how to go into that prison and minister. And I got a feeling it's going to be an incredible ladies' ministry to the prisons. You know what? Jesus walks in there with you. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when in the world did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then he said something that is absolutely true. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. So, powerful passage. Then he turns to the goats on his left. And he says, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but, whoa. What did he say? Can you all read it with me? Say it out loud. Where? Fires of hell. Now, what are these people doing going around saying there's no hell? If there's not a hell, then throw your Bible away. It's all wrong. Because Jesus said, you're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. Homeless, you gave me no bed. Shivering, you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison. And you never visited. It was all about you. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? Notice they call him Master, but their life did not show the fruit of having known him. When did we ever see a hungry, thirsty, homeless, shivering, sick, or in prison, and we didn't help you? He'll answer the same thing to them. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who's being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. That's why when our church... And I'm, I'm bragging on Jesus in you here, not our church, not puffed up about it. But when we sent $20,000 to Haiti, we sent it to those that didn't have clothes, didn't have food, didn't have a bed, didn't have a home. Many of those children didn't have parents, lost them to AIDS. And you know what? We did it to him. So he said, you failed, you goats, to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Don't let anybody tell you ever that there is not a judgment, and we're about to see tonight that there is a most somber judgment, and there is not an eternity, and there is not a price to pay for rejecting Christ. There is the greatest price, the most severe price to pay. Eternal doom, Jesus said it. It makes me shudder to even read those words, but it's there. As Christ returns and the tribulation closes, several things take place as revealed in chapter 20 of Revelation. So we're going to chapter 20 now, and let's look at what happens after Jesus has returned. He has stopped that horrible war, and let's see what chapter 20 says. Here they are. Here's, I think, seven things that are going to happen in this chapter. Satan is bound in the abyss. Say amen. amen. Then there is the first resurrection. I'm going to tell you what that means. Then the millennium is mentioned six times. And then the fourth thing, Satan is loose for a brief season. I'm going to tell you what that's about. The last and the final rebellion. Then we're going to see Satan consigned 
to the lake of fire forever. Then the second resurrection and the second death. And I'm going to tell you what that means. You ought to know. You need to know. You will know after tonight. Now, verse 1 in chapter 20 opens up with a special angel coming down from heaven with authorization to arrest Satan, binding him for a thousand years with a great chain and casting him into the bottomless pit, the abyss. That's going to be a great moment. We're all going to watch it. We're all going to see it. And we're all going to shout glory. Let's just try it now. You ready? One, two, three. Glory. That sorry devil is going to be cast into the abyss. All right. Look at Revelations 21 through 3. I saw an angel descending out of heaven. He carried the key to the abyss and a chain, a huge chain. He grabbed the dragon, that old snake, the very devil, Satan himself, chained him up for a thousand years, dumped him into the abyss, slammed it shut, and sealed it tight. No more trouble out of him. This is the Message Bible, but I thought this put it best. No more trouble out of him deceiving the nations until the thousand years are up. And after that, he has to be let loose briefly. Can you imagine a world with no devil? Can you imagine a life with no devil? Can you imagine waking up and there's no devil to tempt you, condemn you, make you feel guilty, put sickness, put disease, none of that. He's bound up, sealed tight. Now, during the millennium, John tells us that Satan is bound and chained in the abyss for a thousand years. That's millennium, thousand years. All satanic activity ceases. All demon powers are gone from the earth. But what does it mean in verse 3 when it says Satan is let loose briefly? Let's talk about that because that's very mysterious. Satan is going to be released for a brief time at the end of the millennium, at the end of the thousand years. And why will he be released? to test and attempt the descendants of the survivors of the tribulation to see whether their allegiance during the millennium is merely an outward submission to Christ's supreme rule or a heartfelt dedication to the Savior King. Now keep that in mind. I'm going to go into it a little bit more later tonight. But that's why he's released for a brief season. Now we're going to see that the thousand-year millennium is mentioned six times in the first six verses. All the prophets talked about this millennium. Isaiah went on and on about the millennium. Jeremiah talks about the millennium. Many of the minor prophets, you'll see it in Zephaniah, you'll see it in Haggai, you will see it in Zechariah, you will see many of the prophets talk about the millennium, this thousand-year reign of Christ. When Jesus comes back, now during the millennium, Jesus Christ is going to rule the world out of Jerusalem, not out of Washington. Washington, D.C. is going to be shut down. Everybody say amen to that. Oh, that'll be a glory. I'll shout about that as much as I do Satan being bound. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm about to have a benefit right now just thinking about it. Now, when they go on summer recess, I just wish they'd stay. Stay home. Stay at the house. Anyway, here we go. Now, he'll rule the world out of Jerusalem. And John says that the resurrected and the raptured saints of this age, that's you, and the Old Testament saints, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and 
all the prophets, you name it, all the Old Testament saints will rule with the Savior. Do you know you're going to rule with the Savior? Have you ever realized that? Heaven is not going to be you flying around with wings, going from cloud to cloud forever, playing a harp. That's not what it's going to be. No, Jesus is going to set up his government in Jerusalem and rule the world for a thousand years. So what are we going to do? I don't know for sure, but I know that if I'm serving Jesus, it's going to be good. Look at verse 4. I saw thrones. Those put in charge of judgment sat on the thrones. I also saw the souls of those, what? Beheaded. Because of their witness to Jesus and the word of God, who refused to worship either the beast or his image, and refused to take his mark on their forehead or their hand. They, those martyrs, lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So don't take that mark. If you resist that mark, and maybe you're in the tribulation right now and you've gotten this CD, don't take that mark. Notice that tribulation saints are also included. Those who were beheaded for their witness and those who had refused to worship. Antichrist or receive his mark. Now, does it occur to you that beheading is how radical Islam kills people? Isn't it interesting? Of all the ways man has devised to kill each other since John wrote this prophecy, that he would be specific enough to say not just they were killed, but they were beheaded. Let me share something with you. On July 26th, just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, 12 Christians were killed, including three pastors in northern Nigeria after members of the Islamic extremist group Boko Haram launched attacks on police and government bases, according to contacts at VOM Canada. Churches were set ablaze, churches, and several people were abducted, including Christians. Many believers were threatened with death if they refused to convert to Islam. Now look at what happened. According to media reports, assailants beheaded three pastors, three church leaders. The assailants were reportedly acting on the instruction of the extremist group's leader, Mohammed Yusuf, who was later killed by authorities. Interesting. Those men beheaded for their faith, that's who John's talking about. And I want you to understand, church, and this is not to... Listen, we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But radical Islam is spreading across the globe. I personally believe radical Islam will probably be the primary persecutor of many of the Christians in this world and will play a large part in the persecutions that take place in the tribulation. John, by the Holy Ghost, did not waste words. He said they were beheaded, and it's happening right now. Churches are being burned to the ground, your brothers, your sisters, pastors are being are being arrested, are being threatened, and are being beheaded for their faith in Christ right now. So we need to pray for our brethren who are in the world. And we need to pray that God mightily anoints His church because we've got to answer this kind of demonic spirit with the anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing that breaks the yoke. 
Interestingly, the militants attempted to force the pastors to convert to Islam, but they refused to abandon their faith. They were then beheaded by guards who shouted, Allah Akbar, and fired several gunshots into the air in celebration. I pulled this story today and put it up on this teaching because I, I knew I was teaching on it tonight, and then I run across this story today. So there it is, Allah Akbar, and beheaded them. John goes on to tell us something else about this time period. Revelations 20, verse 5 says, This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. So the rapture is the first resurrection. The phrase, the first resurrection, is referring to those who are resurrected to enjoy the millennial reign of Christ. Only saved people, catch that, only the redeemed are involved in the first resurrection. Elijah will be there. Elisha will be there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel will be there. Haggai, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, they'll all be there. David, the psalmist, will be there. Solomon will be there. They'll all be there. Who are you going to say hi to first? Huh? Moses. I'm going straight to Adam. Thanks a lot, dude. Kick him in the shins a little bit. I don't know. All right. Now, notice again that this first resurrection, I like that picture. Isn't that nice? That's neat. Woohoo! Now, but actually, you won't be able to see anybody. It says in a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trump. The Greek word is atomos, from which we get atom. It means a moment of time, too fast to split or divide. You'll be walking along and boom, you'll be looking right at Jesus. It's not going to be any floating up. <laughs> it won't be any floating up there. Hey! No, it'll be boom, and you're looking at Jesus. But it will be enjoyed by three classes of people. The Old Testament saints, those raptured up from the earth, you, and the tribulation saints, those who are beheaded, who are martyred for their faith during the great tribulation. Then John says in verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Amen. For them, the second death, and we'll talk about that, the second death holds no power. But those who enjoy the first resurrection will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him a thousand years. That's good news. That's good news. Now, when John says, that the second death holds no power for them. Here's what he's talking about. He is talking about the resurrection from the dead of every person who ever lived throughout history who never repented. You know why it's called the second death? Because they're going to die twice. That's why it's called the second death. Every person throughout history who never repented will be resurrected. Here's what folks don't understand. Every single human being that ever lived is going to be resurrected. Not just Christians raptured to be with Christ and those that have died in Christ raptured out of the grave. But every person who ever lived is going to be resurrected. Either in the first resurrection to glory or the second resurrection to the great white throne judgment. But you will leave the grave. 
you will be brought up before God. Every person will be resurrected. In other words, only the lost are involved in the second death. And you know, the Bible couldn't be any more clear about this. This is why we preach that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. You need to be covered in the blood of the Lamb. You've got to resist with all of your might this politically correct foolishness that says there's many ways to God. There's not. That is garbage. That is compromise. That is forsaking the Scripture. The Bible is so clear here that there's going to be a second resurrection. Those that never repented, those that resisted the call of God for salvation will be brought up before Him. We're going to look at that in a moment. It'll be a second death for them because it'll be a resurrection to damnation. In essence, dying twice. They will be raised up from the dead to face God at the great white throne judgment. We're going to look more at this at verse 11. To me, it's the most sobering part in the whole book of Revelation. Take all the judgments, vile judgments, seal judgments, bold judgments, take them all. They're not as bad as this great white throne judgment. But the millennium that the raptured saints and the Old Testament saints and the martyred tribulation saints are going to enjoy is what the prophets had looked for and longed for and predicted. Okay? It is what was on Jesus' mind when he taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come. Can you read it with me, everybody? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the millennium, that's going to be answered. That's why he taught us to pray that way. And when he said, the meek shall inherit the earth, he meant it. You're going to inherit it with him. In Revelation 5.10, you remember way back in chapter 5, it says the great chorus of worshipers in heaven cry out, read it with me, and you have caused them, the redeemed, to become a kingdom of priests for our God, read it loud now, and they will reign on the earth. Let's talk about the millennium. Hallelujah. Jesus spoke of this very same thing when he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Huh? You're going to make me a ruler over many things? When? Where? In the millennium. You're going to be busy. But no, it's not going to be work. And it's not going to be sweat. It's going to be Emmanuel labor. Amen. Amen. Now watch, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is quoted as saying, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over what? Ten cities. So do you get right here that the way you live on earth unto God is rewarded in the hereafter with authority and with blessing and with responsibility and with crowns? Do you see that? These passages clearly teach that faithfulness in life, this life, brings authority in Christ's coming kingdom. And what will the millennium be like? Let's take a little glimpse into it. First of all, everything on earth is going to be restored. I love what God created. I really do. And look what Acts 3, 20 to 21 says. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, Notice it's called times of refreshment. Then he goes on. He must remain in heaven 
until the time for the what, everyone? Final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the prophets, through his holy prophets. So there's going to be a restoration of all things in the millennium. Predatory, carnivorous animals will become vegetarians again. Look at that picture. Isn't that beautiful? And look, Isaiah said this. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, talking about the millennium. Isaiah talked about it a whole bunch. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The leopard will lie down with a baby goat. Today, a baby goat to a leopard is a happy meal. But he will lie down with the goat. (laughs) Hallelujah. The calf and the yearling will be safe next to a lion. And a little child will lead them along. So all aggression and carnivorous activity and ferocity creature to creature will end. The glory of Eden will be restored, Isaiah 11.10. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. That's talking about Jesus. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. All right, Eden's going to be restored. Now the third thing, Christ in the millennium will be the absolute monarch ruling with perfect justice, and he will not be voted in. There won't be any election. It'll be yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you say, sir, that's it, sir. He will not be elected. He will be a kingly, royal monarch. Isaiah again, chapter 11. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will rule with a scepter of righteousness. There will be no crime. It won't be able to happen. Because Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords and mighty monarch, will rule the earth from Jerusalem. Glory to God. Now here's another thing about the millennium. Israel will be the preeminent nation on the planet, and will bless all the Gentile nations. This is so powerful. What did God say to Abraham? In Genesis 12, which is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And notice what he said now. All the families on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. Now, how did that happen? It happened by the coming of Messiah, Jesus Christ, through the lineage of Abraham. But it hasn't been totally fulfilled yet. It will be totally fulfilled in the millennium. But there it is. That's why, folks, never, never curse Israel. Never curse the Jewish people. Say, well, I don't always like them. So they don't always like you. Listen, the reason you bless them is because God has said, I will bless those who bless you, 
Curse those who curse you. Listen, the nations that are breathing down the neck of Israel right now, the Islamic nations, the Arabic nations, are going to be so ferociously judged by the living God. It's so clear. You're going to see it. We've already seen it in Revelations. We're going to see it in Ezekiel 38, 39. God is going to bring about the final jihad. God is going to bring about the final jihad. It'll be over. You can't curse his people and get away with it. Right now, there is a fresh wave of anti-Semitism moving through America, through Europe, and through the rest of the world. Never pick up on it. Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, we had early morning prayer. It was great. About 30 folks came out. We turned this way, and we blessed Jerusalem because that's east. We blessed Israel and blessed Jerusalem. It said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's free. That might save you some trouble. Just hearing that. If somebody around you runs the Jews down or Israel, say, man, all I know is God's blessed them. I can't go there with you. I'm not going into that conversation. Now, while glorified saints neither marry nor are given in marriage, the survivors of the Great Tribulation will do both, and they will repopulate the world. But you didn't know that. They will live indefinitely in ideal environmental conditions, in natural but super healthy bodies. No more curves, health clubs, no more lame powers, no more working out with weights, no more vitamins, no more diets. I'm going to say it again, no more diets. I'm going to say it again, no more diets. Because you'll have super healthy bodies. Look what Isaiah said about this in Isaiah 65, verse 20. Never again will there be in it, he's talking about the millennium, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. But he who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. You're going to live a long, long time in the millennium. Those that are born in the millennium live a long time. It kind of takes you back to when the early human beings recorded in Genesis lived to 800, 900, Methuselah, people like that. Man, when you were 200, you were starting to date. When you were 300, you got married. When you were 400, you know, you took your kids off to kindergarten. Glory to God. It's sort of a, a throwback to that. Now watch this. A vast number of descendants of the saved survivors of the tribulation will only have an outward allegiance without saving faith in him. This is why, as mentioned earlier, Satan is loosed out of his prison at the end of the thousand-year millennium. He will amass a huge army, and he will assault the capital of the world, the earthly Jerusalem. Revelations 20. I know this is mysterious, but here it is in these verses. Let's look at it. John says in verses 7 and 9, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. These attackers are consumed by the fire of God. It says in verse 9, But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now, if I'm God, I don't do that. But guess what? I'm not God, and you're not either. Why God allows this to happen is wrapped up in the mystery of God's ways. You know, a long time ago, I came to the realization, I'm not going to understand everything about God. 
Do you know that it says his ways are past finding out? His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And the older you get, the more you realize you know a little bit about a few things. And that's where it stops. We have a revelation in the Bible that God has given to us about him, his character, his ways, and the end of time. This is something you just look at it and you go, okay, that's going to happen at the end of the millennium. And I leave it there. Because look what comes next. Finally, the devil joins the Antichrist and false prophet in the burning lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. After this final rebellion, instigated by a briefly released devil, he is judged by God and sealed in the lake of fire forever. Look at Revelations 20.10. Read it with me. Then the devil who deceived them. I can't hear you. Y'all aren't reading. Let's try it again. Revelations 20.10. Then the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There you go. Now, somebody asked me this week, they said, now, what did you mean when you said that nobody's in hell yet? Until the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, there's nothing in it right now. It's the lake of fire. Now, what we're going to see is, at this time, all the souls of all those throughout the ages who died in their sins are raised out of the grave to stand before the judge of the universe to receive their just and eternal retribution. Only the lost and the doomed appear here. And this, to me, is the most difficult part in Revelations. This is tough, y'all. This is why we minister Jesus. This is why we don't compromise and say, well, you can hug a tree and get to heaven. You can be a Buddhist and get to heaven. No, there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said that. He that believes in me has eternal life. He that believes not is damned and doomed already. That's what Jesus said. Here we go. Let's look at it. Verse 11. John is watching and he sees this vision. He says, Then I saw this great white throne and him who was seated on it. Who was seated on it? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. Even the earth and the sky could not watch this or be there for this. And I saw the dead, great and small, who's who's and unknowns, the rich and the poor. And look what John saw. He said, I saw books being opened up, and another book was opened, which I knew to be, I saw was the book of life. And what happened? Well, our name, your name, when you said, Jesus, come into my heart, something happened in heaven. Your name was written in a book, and it's called the book of life. And let me tell you something. You can be a billionaire on this earth, but if your name is not written in that book of life, you have failed. You have missed it. You have missed the mark. As a matter of fact, sin means 
to miss the mark. This shows us that you can have all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the fortune in the world, have it all, be envied by everybody, but if your name is not in this book, you missed the mark. You missed it. You missed the bullseye. He says, well, let's go on and read this. There's no good work, no well-lived life. They can place your name in that sacred volume. Go ahead, give millions away to the poor. That won't get you there. Nothing writes your name there, but God, by the, it's written in red ink, the red ink of blood, the blood of Jesus. That's what your name is written in in the book of life. And the moment you say to Christ, your name is added, if you believe your name is there, if you believe in him, then give the Lord a praise because that's good news. Amen. So let's look at it. Revelation 20, verse 12. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, when John records that there are books, plural, at that judgment, and that one of them is the book of life, then clearly another of the books is clearly a book of deeds because you're judged by what you did in your life, with your body, with your life, with the time, the gift of time that God gave you. That's what you're judged for. Every sin, every misspoken word. Jesus said every idle word you'll give an account for in the day of judgment. Every evil thought and motivation of the heart. All wicked deeds done in secret when you thought no one was looking will be displayed, will flash before them on that day as the scrutinizing x-ray eye of God scans your life in a breathtaking moment of time. You'll watch your own movie. This is your life. And it'll flash before you. Have you ever noticed how people who have died and been brought back said, right before I died, my whole life went in front of me. I saw my whole life. It just went past me. At the judgment, your whole life will pass before you. The times when you said no to the call of God to receive Christ, it'll pass before you. God will say, what would you do with my son? It'll pass before you. Every time... You sin knowing in your conscience that it was wrong. It'll pass before you. Thank God, this is the second death. We're not there. We've had the first resurrection. Now, look at verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. People that had died in the ocean, that are at the bottom of the sea, dissolved away. Their bodies are brought up out of it. And death in Hades. You say, well, what is death in Hades? That's where you go when you die without Christ, those are the waiting rooms. Those are not the lake of fire. Death and Hades are where the souls of people go waiting for the great white throne judgment of God. You're held there. And look, God says to death and Hades, now spew up the dead that are in you because it's judgment time. And each person was judged according to what, everybody? He had done. Death and Hades mentioned above are the spiritual waiting rooms of the damned. Just went over that. It's where one soul goes upon dying and wait for the great white throne judgment. Then look what happened. Then even death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. You already died once. If you died in the ocean, you're brought up. If you died on land, you're brought up. You're brought up before God. And then when you're cast into the lake of fire, you die again. You die again. 
It's amazing. If anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, one commentator writes this. He says, this sad verse, the saddest in the Bible, contains a whosoever. Remember, whosoever believed in him should not perish. In contrast to this, whosoever is not found written in the book of life does perish. Whosoever. You're a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. What have you done with Jesus? And those of you watching this DVD video, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Listening by radio, what have you done with Jesus? You're a whosoever. Where do you stand tonight? And has God written your name in the Lamb's book of life? Can we stand together and pray? Now, I know this is sobering and somber. Next week, we're going to walk down the roads of heaven, walk through the gates, look at the dimensions of heaven, and we're going to hear from my pastor, my all-time favorite pastor, who had a lot to do with inspiring me into the pulpit. He's with the Lord now, but I've got an audio of his testimony of when he died and went to heaven and was brought back by his heart being shocked by the doctors and you're going to hear him tell you what he saw and how it lines up with revelations. Don't miss it. It's powerful. But let's bow for a moment. Now, Lord, we just thank you for this word. It's very sobering, Lord, and we see that there will be a judgment. And we ask you, Lord, to touch everyone in this room, touch every radio listener, Every viewer of this video, reach into that living room, reach into that office, reach into that jail cell, Lord, reach into that automobile, and Lord, help us to receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ while the grace is offered. We ask you, Lord God. To win many, many, woo many people to Jesus as they hear this sobering testimony of God about the coming judgment. And if you're here today, you say, Pastor Jeff, I'm not sure if my heart is where it ought to be with Jesus, but I'd sure like to leave tonight knowing that I'm right with Him and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm going to ask you right where you are, would you let me pray for you? I want to be sure before we dismiss that nobody has been turned away who would like to come to Him and make peace with God. And if that's you tonight, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Say, Pastor Jeff, I want to be sure. I want to be certain that I'm right with God. Just slip it up and I'm going to see you and we're going to pray. Anyone here tonight? Yes. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. God bless you. I see you. Anyone else? We're going to pray the prayer of faith. In Jesus' name. As soon as we dismiss, I'm going to ask those of you that raise your hand, I want you to come right up here. I'm going to be standing right here, and I want you to let me pray with you. We're going to do it that way tonight. Can we do that? All right, let's give the Lord a hand for grace. And for his word.